Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to, his, to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Heavenly Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd be pleased to bless us as we look to your word, as we look to you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, you would guide us, you would encourage us, you would shape and mold us and make us more and more like Christ Jesus. And we pray these things in his holy and precious name. Amen. Last time we were in Matthew's gospel, we were looking at verses 17 through 25, and you'll recall if you heard the message that uh, the passage begins with the disciples asking Jesus, verse 17, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus gives the instructions to go into the city. You remember the go into the city and uh, you're going to find a certain man and um, uh, he will lead you where you're to go, where you're to make the uh, preparations. And of course, the disciples do this. They make the preparations to, uh, to observe the Passover feast. And uh, these preparations have been made and the observance of the Passover feast is now underway as we come to verse 26. The first five words of our text this morning are, are very, very crucial to our understanding of what is going to take place. Now, the words now as they were eating. Um, those words uh, on the face of it don't seem like they're all that crucial, but uh, I would uh, submit to you that they're, they're absolutely crucial uh, to our understanding uh, of this text. What is Matthew doing here? He's reminding us of the context in which this event will take place. And you've heard me say many times, there's three things that are really important to understanding the Word of God. What are they? Context, context, and has anybody got the third one? It's context. And uh, what is Matthew doing here? He's giving us the context. Now, this is especially difficult for us. Uh, as I was talking with Donald earlier as we were setting things up this morning, um, it's not that the context of this setting is lost to us. We never had it. The disciples who are gathered with Jesus come from a line of people who have this heritage of observing this Passover feast for, at, up to this point in time for approximately 1,500 years. Uh, 21st century America has no, really no clue uh, about the significance of all of this. And that's why we began our service this morning by reading from Exodus 12. And um, everybody probably has one of these, these little inserts. They make nice bookmarkers when we're not singing from them. And if you would just put that um, in Matthew's gospel for a moment. And uh, uh, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be parading around in the Bible quite a bit this morning, but I'll only ask you to do it one time. If you will turn back to Exodus 12, uh, for a moment, back to page 53 if you're using the church's Bible. We'd like to go back to Exodus 12 
and at least uh, briefly develop some of the things that are going on here uh, in Exodus 12. While you're finding the place, a little bit of background to Exodus 12. If you're familiar with the story, you realize that uh, Israel is in Egypt, and uh, they're, they're not having a very good time there. Uh, they're under the dominion and the uh, uh, tyranny of Pharaoh, who is king of Egypt, and uh, the, the daily routine is make bricks. Uh, there's a quota of bricks that at this point in time have been placed on them that they, it's really an untenable amount of bricks, and uh, things have become extraordinarily harsh. Uh, Israel has long since called on God for deliverance, and God has raised Moses up to deliver them uh, from the furnace, as the prophets call it, the furnace of uh, Egypt. And uh, in verse 1 of Exodus 12, uh, the Lord is uh, speaking to Moses and Aaron. They're still in the land of Egypt. And uh, in verse 2, the Lord says, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It's hard for us to imagine an event that could occur today that would upset the calendar. Imagine an event that would be so significant that it would cause us to reset our calendars. Uh, this is no longer April. Uh, this is actually now going to be the beginning of the year. It, it's very difficult for us to imagine any event that would have that kind of significance. This event does. This shall be the beginning for you of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Verse 3, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And in verse 4, there's instructions given. If a household is too small in order to eat an entire lamb, then they're to get together with some neighbors, find some neighbors, work this, work this thing out. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Uh, you're to keep it until the 14th day of this month, and it's twilight. You're to uh, kill the lamb. Verse 7, uh, further instructions are given. Uh, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Uh, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Uh, verse uh, uh, 10, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Uh, verse 11, in this manner, you shall eat it with your, felt, your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And verse 12, the Lord begins to explain what he's going to do. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And if you skip down to verse 24, which will be in the second, if you're using the church's Bible, it will be on the second column. Uh, on the right, at the top, uh, verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised you, you shall keep this service. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this? You shall say it's a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. 
For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, and when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Okay. We've read this twice this morning, at least a significant portion of it we've read twice. Uh, what's going on here? What's happening? Well, as I've already said, uh, the, the Israelites are in Egypt. Uh, they're in horrible captivity. And uh, uh, God has raised Moses up to deliver them. Moses has approached the king uh, of Egypt, Pharaoh, on a number of occasions. And so far, Pharaoh has refused to uh, let God's people go. God is about to execute judgment. So the first thing that we uh, might uh, observe from this is judgment is about to take place. Uh, judgment is coming. And specifically judgment upon the false worship and false gods of Egypt. On their obstinacy, uh, God is about to execute His wrath upon the land. Uh, the second thing that we might observe is that God is merciful. Yes, judgment is coming, but God is offering a way out. What's the way out? Well, he's giving, he's giving instructions, isn't he? Take a lamb without blemish. Take it on the 10th day of the month. On the 14th day of the month, slaughter the lamb. Uh, take the blood. And in fact, our text even tells uh, the Israelites how to do it. They took a hyssop branch and kind of used it as a paintbrush, if you will, stuck it into a basin. And they were to paint it on the doorposts and across the lintel of the uh, door of the house. Uh, what was the purpose of this? Well, when the angel of destruction uh, came and he saw the, the blood, this, the, the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, he would pass over the house. So we see, that, uh, in a third observation here, we see that there, uh, there is a sign, the sign of the blood. And we can also see why uh, the Passover is named the Passover. Because with the blood... Uh, covering the household, if you will, uh, the angel of destruction will pass over the house. Makes sense? It's a pretty graphic picture, isn't it? What else do we gather from it? Well, we gather from it a, a, a substitution, a substitute. Uh, it's not that God simply forgot about the sins of His people. A lamb was sacrificed in place of the family, huh? Right? That's where the blood comes from. So we see the idea of a substitute. What else do we gather from it? Well, we also gather that it's a meal. It's an important point. In fact, God is pretty meticulous about this. You're to gather a lamb. If your house is too small, then get together with your neighbors and work this thing out because... You're, you're to have a meal here. You're, to, you're not just to sa sacrifice the lamb and then discard of it and paint the blood on the doorpost. No, that's, not a, that's, that's only the half of it. The other half is there to enjoy a meal. They're to enjoy a meal. Not privately somewhere off in the corner, but in community together they're to enjoy a meal. They're to eat this uh, Paschal lamb, if you will, this Passover lamb. They're to eat it and they're to eat it to the fullness. Nothing is to be left over. This is not the night for leftovers. Whatever isn't consumed is to be destroyed. It's to be burned. What else do we gather from this? We gather from this the need uh, for what we call and what we'll see in a, a little bit, this word propitiation. Uh, in the English Standard Version and many other versions, 
of the Bible, that word is used in some parts of uh, Scripture. What is propitiation? Propitiation is the turning away of God's wrath. You see, when God sees the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel, His wrath is diverted. Right? He passes over. What else do we see? Well, if we look back to our text again, um, if we look at verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. What is that all about? Uh, this idea of ridding leaven from the house. Uh, sometimes Scripture uses leaven as an emblem, if you will, of sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses it this way. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read the verse for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, listen to how Paul is using uh, the word leaven. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. What, how is Paul using that uh, word leaven? Uh, obviously, he's using it as a, an emblem of sin. Uh, uh, cleanse the sin out of your life is basically what Paul is saying. Uh, out of the grace that God has given to you. Uh, cleanse out the old person, however you want to put it. So here, uh, embedded into the Passover feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you will, where um, the, the uh, Israelites were to rid all of the leaven from their house. They were not to use any leaven in the cooking of their bread. And it was symbolic uh, of the Lord. He's not, he's not just delivering them out of Egypt, uh, but He's also delivering them from His wrath, and He's delivering them from uh, personal sin. Can we, can we see all of that? There's a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot there. I mean, we've got a lot of catching up to do with those first five words back in Matthew. If you turn back to Matthew with me again. Matthew 26, the first five words of verse 26. <laughs> now as they were eating. There's a lot going on there, isn't there? And the truths that I've just explained really are just... We hardly get it had we been the disciples, had we been born into uh, this rich heritage. We would have, th th these truths would have been deeply inbred into us. Uh, to the very core, we'd have understood these things. So as they were, as they were eating, as they were observing this, the, the Passover feast, as they had done many times before, and as their fathers had done, and as their father's fathers had done, and as their fathers had done for nearly 1,500 years, here they are observing the Passover feast. And is at this point, Jesus makes an interruption. This would not have been a small matter. What does Jesus do? Verse 26, He took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What, does Jesus, what is Jesus doing there? Most of us are probably familiar. He took, took the bread and he broke it. He hands it to his disciples and he says, Here, take and eat. 
this is my body. He takes the cup. He says, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, uh, the record is, he, he said, it's poured out for you, poured out for many. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. What is the significance of all of that? The significance of all of that is that Jesus is bringing an end to the Passover observance as they knew it. And he's marking the beginning of a new form of Passover service, if you will. There's been many who have called it. Indeed, uh, the Lord's Supper has been called the Christian Passover. B.B. Uh, Warfield used to call it that. Uh, the Christian Passover. What is Jesus doing with this, with this uh, event? Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, for his resurrection. And he's graphically displaying the fact that he is identifying himself with the Passover lamb. Could you imagine sitting there that night and listening to this? The Passover lamb. You, Lord? You are going to be the what? The Passover lamb? It will be your blood sprinkled over the houses of our hearts? Yes. Take, eat. It's unbelievable, isn't it? What does Jesus mean by eating? What does Jesus mean by, this is my body? There's two errors that we need to avoid here. One is the error of taking this literally. In a few minutes, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper as Jesus has instituted. We're going to be doing exactly what Jesus has instituted in the upper room so many years ago. This is his body. How are we to understand that? Are we to understand that literally? Is this literally Christ's body? That's the way many understand it. In fact, I would say probably in our valley, that's the way most understand it, that this is literally Christ's body, that when Jesus broke the bread, it is taught, for instance, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's taught that uh, when Jesus broke that bread, that that bread was uh, immediately transformed into the body of Christ. It was literally his physical body. And that the uh, cup, that the, uh, the wine was literally his blood. Now, I would say that's an error we want to avoid. Why? Well, for starters, the incarnation. Let's think about the incarnation for a moment. What do I mean by the incarnation? The fact that the second person of the Trinity came that the Son of God came and did what? He took on a human body. It's important that we sort this out. Who is Jesus? Jesus is, Jesus is a human person like you and like me. 
the author to the letter of Hebrews. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read a couple verses for you. But the author to the letter of Hebrews makes this abundantly clear. And it's very important that we understand this. He says in chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, the children sh Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Okay? We all share in flesh and blood, right? We all have bodies. Uh, we have blood flowing through our veins, right? That's, that's, that's pointing to our humanity. We are human beings. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that is Christ, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In verse 17, uh, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation. There's that word I, I introduced a little bit ago. To make propitiation for the sins of his people. What is that? Remember what I said. That's to turn away the wrath of God, Right? Hopefully we'll never forget that now because we have the, the image in our minds of the blood being put on the doorpost and on the lintel. When the angel of destruction comes by, he passes over, right? Because propitiation has been made. How was it made? The lamb was slaughtered. The blood was put on the doorpost. This is being changed. It's actually being fulfilled. But in order to accomplish this, God has to do something. He has to become human. He has to take on a human body, if you will, which is more, more precise. God doesn't become human. God remains to be God, but he takes on the clothing of a human person. That person is Jesus. He has a human body just like ours, and currently he's in session at the right hand of God the Father in a human body, uh, a glorified human body for sure, but it's a human body. We will see, the faithful will see Jesus in his human body. He has so united himself to humanity that he has taken on a human body just like yours and just like mine. And at the Lord's Supper, on that night in the upper room, when Jesus takes the bread, he is in a human body. And when he says that this bread is my body, we need to understand he's speaking figuratively here. He's speaking figuratively. For if he would have been speaking literally, we would have had some objections. I mean, I think I can hear Peter objection. Peter's always the one that objects, isn't he? When Jesus says, I'm going to have to go into Jerusalem, I'm going to have to be crucified, I'm going to have to be buried and then raised again, what's Peter say about that? No, Lord, never. And even after the resurrection, when Peter has his vision, you know the vision in Acts chapter 10 when uh, Peter has this vision and there's a sheet in his vision, a sheet's coming down out of the heaven and on the sheet are all these unclean animals and God says, take Peter, uh, kill and eat. What's Peter say? Sure, Lord, no problem. No, he objects. No, nothing unclean has ever, has ever touched my lips. If, this, if Jesus would have meant this to be taken literally, Peter would have objected. Why? Because of Leviticus 17. Again, you don't need to turn there, but listen to, these, listen to these verses. Leviticus 17, verse 10. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Uh, if we look at um, 
Verse 14, for the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. If we were to understand this literally, there would have been an objection. Jesus would have been asking them to do something that the Old Testament forbids. Jesus would never do that. He's speaking figuratively. And the disciples obviously take, uh, taken at his uh, figurative language. No one objects. And besides that, they were used to Jesus speaking this way. On that same night, uh, we have the, the record of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all take place on this same night in the same room. And Jesus said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Is that taken literally? Does it mean Jesus is a plant to these? No, he doesn't have feet no more. He's got roots and he's got arms. He's got little leaves dangling off him. No, of course he's speaking figuratively. He's speaking figuratively. That's one error that we want to avoid, is taking these literally, that this is literally the flesh and the blood of Jesus. But there's another error, and I'd say it's a ditch on the opposite side of the road. Is to say, okay, we got it. This is just, these are just symbols. And all that's going on here is a memorial service. This is just a symbol. That, I think I got it. I think I understand it. The, the, the bread is a symbol of, God, of Christ's body, which is broken for us. And the, uh, uh, the cup, the fruit of the vine here is uh, simply a, a symbol of the shed blood of Jesus. Uh, okay, I think I got it. And we're to do this in remembrance of Christ's death uh, and uh, uh, this is to keep us from forgetting about Christ's death. And as we do this, as we, as we observe the sacrament, then we proclaim the, uh, uh, the death of Christ until He returns. Okay, all of that is true. But if that's the sum total of our understanding of what we're about to do, then we hardly get it at all. We hardly get it at all. Jesus says, take, Eat. This is my body. Well, it's not his literal body. He says, take, drink. This is my blood. It's not literally his blood. Well, then what is it? You remember what I said about the sacraments a few months ago? Sacraments are what? Through the use of visible signs, they communicate things that are signified by those signs. Through the, through the elements here, in a few moments, in a few minutes, um, we will be consecrating these elements. And as we do this, we don't say that these elements literally turn into uh, the, the physical body of Christ Jesus and the physical blood of Christ Jesus. But that having been said, there's an enormous amount of grace to be had by coming to this table. Jesus is inviting us to come to do what? to feed on Him. How do we feed on Him? Well, to understand that, let's think about how Jesus is present. How is Jesus present with us this morning? Is Jesus here? You better believe He's here. He's here very powerfully. One thing that I've always heard people say as they have come to these services is that, is that the Holy Spirit is here. I've, I've heard people say that so many times. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Of course the Holy Spirit's here. Believers are here. Where's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells within us, right? On the same night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus tells them, he's preparing the disciples, he says, listen, I, I, I have to depart. 
It's to your benefit that I depart. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the helper. Are you familiar with that text? I'm going to send the helper. Uh, he will come. He will be with you. That's the Holy Spirit. How is Christ present with us? Physically, Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But spiritually, He is present with us right now. And He is inviting His children to this table right now. And what is His intentions? His intentions are to feed us spiritually. And that's the purpose of the, of the bread. We can't live without food, can we? And we can't live without drink. Bread and water isn't what gives us life. But bread and water is what sustains our life. We don't get spiritual life by coming to the table. But we get strength in our spiritual life by coming to the table. How do we get, how do we get spiritual life? It's through the gospel. It's by grace that we're saved as the word is proclaimed and as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and opens our eyes to see the glory, majesty, and beauty of Jesus, we become believers. But now that we become believers, our loving Lord wants to feed us and nourish us and strengthen us. And he does so through the grace of these elements. Th these things are so incomprehensible to us that Jesus has given us these, these simple things by the, by, by the bread and uh, by the, the fruit of the vine, just as our bodies are physically nourished as we eat, here in a little while, some of our bellies might already be growling, we're going to go eat, aren't we? Why? Our bodies require it. But before we go do that, we're going to do something that's even more important. We're going to feed our souls. So as we come to the table, as, as we come, uh, we should come expecting the Lord to feed our souls. Does that make sense? So we are indeed feeding on Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the great truths that you have given to us. Though, oh Lord, we understand you're not physically present in, in this sacrament that you've given us, we do understand you are, very, you are spiritually present. And though, oh Lord, we understand that we are, are not going to be literally eating of the physical body of Jesus or drinking the physical blood of Jesus, but we do understand, Lord, that we are coming to feed on you. For, oh Lord... Uh, as we come to this table, Lord, we look to you that you would be pleased, O Lord, to nourish us, to strengthen us, to raise us, O Lord, to raise us up to yourself, that, O Lord, um, our faith may be strengthened, uh, that our souls may be encouraged, that the promises of God in Christ Jesus, who find all, every promise finds its yes in Christ Jesus, that these promises would be made even more certain to our hearts. So, Lord, we pray to these ends in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen.